Speaking of is made possible by listeners like you. Thank you for supporting Milwaukee PBS. It's a brisk fall afternoon, very windy. We're in the heart of Milwaukee's historic Bronzeville district. We have King Drive to the east of us, which has a plethora of black owned businesses from retail to food, plant shops. The plant shop actually has food too, so boom, boom. If we go south, we're headed towards downtown Milwaukee, which has seen a major facelift in the past few years. And to the west of us is I-43, which is pretty significant to the story. So we'll revisit that later. But for now, let's learn more about this neighborhood back in a less noisy studio. This is Speaking Of, a podcast by Milwaukee PBS. So before we get into the history of this notable Milwaukee neighborhood, with me in the studio are Mariano Avila and Scotty Lee Myers, or Scotty Myers for short. Yeah, thanks. It sounds like you don't even know who I am. (laughs) (laughs) And I've got a middle name, too, and that one just got erased. Mine did, too, so it's okay. Scotty's special. Oh. So... Yeah, you're about to tell us, but like, frankly, I've never even been there. Generally, what's the vibe? Just like being there, what's the vibe? As someone who lives in River West and, and commutes through Bronzeville, who spends time in Bronzeville, what I love about Bronzeville is that, especially along MLK Drive, it really feels like a main street. You know, it's reminiscent of small towns in Wisconsin. There's these beautiful corridor of businesses and shops and it's just beautiful. I think for me, I didn't call it Bronzeville probably until like the last two or three years. It's just this area of town that I was very familiar with. I think of Garfield Days, which is like a street festival that happens every year. And we had family friends that own a house in Hollier Park and we would always like park all our cars there and just walk down to the festival. And then I remember a soul food restaurant that my mom would take me and my sister to like it seemed like almost every week but we like always were craving it it was like our little girls date was like to go to this soul food place and it was really popular it's called Josh Stacy's and all the celebrities would go when they came in for like concerts so when you would go in you would see pictures of all these famous people on the wall so we would just feel like super special but it's now closed But those are the kind of things, like, when I would think of it, I knew it for it being a lot of Black-owned businesses there. But I didn't realize that it had this legacy of having so many different Black-owned businesses, that that was kind of the characteristic of the neighborhood. Speaking of building a legacy, sometimes legacies have to be rebuilt. And in the case of creating generational wealth, There have been clear moments in U.S. history where people of color have had to build and rebuild foundations that were seemingly, if not completely, destroyed. For example, 2021 marks 100 years since the Tulsa Race Massacre, the attack and demolition of a prosperous Black business district referred to as Black Wall Street. It's been estimated that the destruction of those Black-owned businesses by white rioters cost about $27 million in today's dollars. The events crippled a community looking to build generational wealth during the Jim Crow era. And as I was thinking about legacies and Black Wall Street, I thought of a similar neighborhood in Milwaukee that is going through somewhat of a renaissance after being devastated by urban renewal for decades. Welcome to Bronzeville. Bronzeville is a community comprised of people who have been bronzed by the sun. In other words, Bronzeville, darker-hued people, mainly of African-American ancestry. These are people who came to Milwaukee 
in the early 1900s with dreams of a better life, escaping segregation, Jim Crow of the South, arriving to a kind of de facto segregation here in Milwaukee, but still able to achieve the dreams that may have eluded them in the South. This is Sherry Williams-Pinnell, a native Milwaukeean, actress, playwright, creative, and also a Bronzeville enthusiast. The Bronzeville neighborhood, especially during its heyday, signified progress, hope, success, the ability to achieve dreams. Following World War I, thousands of Black Americans were migrating from the South to the North. Nearly 500 a day rolled the railroads in search of a better life. And while these families were escaping Jim Crow segregation and intimidation, the newfound Milwaukeeans still faced de facto segregation, limiting where they would be able to settle and which businesses they could patronize. One of the ways we can acknowledge the fulfillment of these dreams is the fact that there were over 200 businesses that were fully operational and serving the residents of Bronzeville. And I say serving the residents of Bronzeville is because during this time, as I mentioned, the de facto segregation, Black people depended upon these businesses to get what they needed. Everything from legal aid, dental care, medical care, the schools, the churches, restaurants and other places of business, tailors, haberdasheries, all of this existed within Bronzeville. And were provided by people who had the skills, the knowledge, and the business acumen to maintain them. So there was some prosperity in Bronzeville, a a measure of prosperity and a lot of pride. That self-sufficient community made way for Black Americans living in Bronzeville to get a taste of the middle class. The dream was in being able to get an education for your children, to be able to have a job that would allow you to earn enough to purchase a home or to rent a home that was a decent home to live in, to raise a family in, to create a community. Uh, There were industries such as the steel industry, the foundries, where a lot of, of the men of the family and some women worked to provide, I'm going to say, a middle class existence in Bronzeville. These were people who worked at places like A.L. Smith and Rex Chainbelt and Alice Chalmers and were able to send their children to college or to trade schools so that they could fulfill their training and have a career, not just a job, but a, a career that would provide a good living for themselves and their families. Mariano and Scotty, one of the coolest things to me is that Bronzeville wasn't just a gem to locals. There were notable celebrities that made their way through the district. Names like Duke Ellington, Billie Holiday, Ike, and Tina Turner. If you were a Black person traveling through Milwaukee for any reason, Bronzeville was the closest thing to home. So, Lexi, who were some of the people in the community who made Bronzeville golden? I think a prime example would be Artie and Wilbur Halyard. This couple founded the first Black-owned savings and loan association in the state of Wisconsin just a year after they arrived in Milwaukee. So Columbia Savings and Loan helped Black families secure home loans in a time where mainstream banks were vastly denying African-Americans of loans. This was instrumental to a lot of families building roots and stability for their families. 
Now, you said that Brownsville was going through a renaissance. So what happened to Brownsville? The short answer, a freeway. The program involves the construction of 41,000 miles of expressway connecting every segment of the United States. Challenges started coming when there were rumors first of a freeway system that was going to travel through Bronzeville. And there was a policy called eminent domain, which meant your property, although you may have had home ownership, would be given a specific value, usually far less than what it was worth. And you were forced to relinquish your home, your business, to the government for urban renewal or so-called progress. This freeway, I-43, went through the heart of the business district and the neighborhood of Bronzeville. So estimates suggest that the construction of I-43 throughout the 60s led to the demolition of roughly 17,000 homes and close to 1,000 businesses. And this wasn't just unique to Milwaukee. Minnesota, Pennsylvania, and Florida are all examples. So those involved with planning the Federal Aid Highway Act of 1956 sometimes routed these roadways directly through Black and brown communities, sometimes intentionally, and claimed eminent domain as the reason. Lexi, thank you for this story. I think it's so eye-opening and and sort of comparing it or drawing lessons from Tulsa. Here we have Black Americans migrating here to the North, so hopeful and in this aspirational spirit, and then only to face segregation and limitations about patronage and where they can go to shop and eat and dine. And 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 then comes eminent domain. And then comes eminent domain. But to build that beloved community, to become this beautiful Bronzeville neighborhood where you're just, all right, you're not going to help us out, society. We're going to build it ourselves. And how beautiful and magical is that? But then only, again, eminent domain to come and just derail that, literally. Destroy it. I mean, it like flattened it completely. And having them come back, that's inspiring to me. It really is. That was the thing that stood out to me when I was speaking with Sherry Williams Pinnell was like I didn't in my head fully understand what that meant, that people literally were owning their homes and then the government were saying you have to leave and they were getting like they weren't even getting the value that their homes were worth. And so much of owning a home is building that equity and establishing that like collateral so you have a secure foundation if you choose to move. But she spoke to me just about so many people were so mentally impacted by that, not just financially, but the mental impacts of themselves. Like, okay, I feel so violated that I I'm trying to work towards this idea of the American dream and you're literally ripping it away from me. And how can you trust a government that just basically told you, even if you do put your money in the thing that is most secure and most foundational to the idea of the American middle class, we're going to take it away from you. Experts have studied the impact transportation policies have had on Black communities, and what they found was that these highways were often used as a boundary marker between non-white and white communities during a time where housing integration was becoming a possibility. There's been a lot of discussion recently with the passing of Biden's infrastructure bill about the potential impact this bill could have on past racist urban planning. Here's the U.S. Secretary of Transportation, Pete Buttigieg, speaking to a Syracuse reporter back in June about the significance of the bill. 
Look, we're confronting a legacy that in some ways goes back 400 years, uh, but we are responsible for what happens next. Everyone in a position of responsibility now has to assess where we are, how we got here, and not so much in the spirit of guilt and blame, but in the spirit of fixing what was broken, do something about it. In a way, you can certainly think of this as, as restorative or reparative, because what we're really talking about is federal dollars in the past having been used to do harm. Now we can use federal dollars to do right by those who were harmed and to, to make sure those harms don't continue for a new generation. Now, I'll be honest, I've only just started to learn about the rich history of Bronzeville over the past few years. And I think a big part of me learning about this history has been seeing so many new and up-and-coming businesses plant themselves in Bronzeville. Businesses like the Bronzeville Collective. Hi, I'm Lilo Allen, co-founder of the Brownsville Collective, MKE. We are a collaborative storefront, so that means we have about 25 to 30 different Black, Brown, and queer ally-owned brands represented in the space. So our goal, our mission is to provide retail space and visibility for creatives who might not otherwise be able to have that representation so close to downtown Milwaukee. And you know what's funny? Lilo says she had the name before they even had a space in Bronzeville. That's how sure she was on where she wanted their storefront to be. At one point, Bronzeville had the most businesses per capita in the United States. And now we have uh, one of the least amount. So it's important for me to bring that back and to just show other folks and younger folks that self-determination is real and you can do it. So in this space used to be a Black-owned dentist office, right, in the 60s. Um, it's also been a, a restaurant, a soul food restaurant. If you look up and down the corridors, you see the history in the buildings, right? But we don't necessarily have that representation of businesses current day. And we want to change that. Um, I think it's really important for myself and my partners to build up not just what we're doing, but the community as a whole. Her business partner, Tiffany Williams, also had a strong connection to the neighborhood. My family grew up in this area. Uh, it's one of the first places that my grandmother was able to migrate to and live and work and play. So that experience has is not unique to my own. Many families that migrated from the South to the North uh, were only able to live here at that time. So. To be a part of the renaissance, this renaissance of Bronzeville at this time is super special. And I hope that, like, we've helped fill the block. So how did this transformation begin? Well, plans to revitalize this area have been in talks for years. But one of the first big developments that kicked off was in 2017. And that was creating a new home for America's Black Holocaust Museum which, if you don't know, has been in Bronzeville since 1988 and was founded by Dr. James Cameron, one of the only known survivors of a lynching. A lot of people don't necessarily know that the work that's been, that's now visible, has been underway for over 10 years. This is Janine Edwards. She's a partner with the P3 Development Group, which is a boutique consulting firm that prides themselves on pursuing equity and inclusion. I personally have been involved in working with a group of resident leaders and Ottawa and Malele Cogs and supporting a vision for this area. And that vision really started with people deciding what they wanted for this area. Because it's a historic area, of course, we are building on the shoulders of people who have been here for a very long time. But this idea of really creating a place that 
would not only draw arts, culture, business, but also just be a place where people would start to connect directly with an identity. It's something that we've been uh, working on for about 10 years. My greatest hope for this area is that there would be other African-American professionals, individuals that maybe were born and raised here, that they see this as a place that they'd like to invest. And that could be either that they decide to purchase a home here or that they decide to support businesses here or even open their own business. And there have been a lot of these businesses being opened by young people in the past couple of years. There's the Maranta Plant Shop, 401 Floral, which is a flower shop, JaVale Studio, a creative art space for kids, and the Bronzeville Collective that we mentioned earlier. So it goes to show that younger generations also understand and value the legacy of this neighborhood. Here's Lilo again. The renaissance in Brownsville that's growing right now is beautiful. So we see all of these new spaces popping up uh, shop-wise, ourselves included. We see the murals coming up. Visual art is growing here. There's more music and nightlife growing along the corridor of MLK. And it's just hearkening back to the old days. And we're excited to get back to that. We're excited to build upon the legacy that our ancestors and the people that came before us in this neighborhood set out for us. So I'm excited for the Renaissance of Brownsville. Well, friends, I hope you enjoyed that guided audio tour of Bronzeville. Any takeaways? Loved it. Yeah, I think it's impressive that communities are starting to like really come into their own and pull resources to do things that maybe individually they can't do. So when you talk about allyship or things like that, when it moves into an economic space like this, I think it's a lot more powerful for communities of color to band together and do the things they can't do individually. That's it's inspiring. So, Lexi, tell me, what do you think is in store for Bronzeville in the near term and the long term? So throughout the pandemic, we saw that several businesses were able to start brick and mortar locations for whatever. Maybe it was a pop up shop. Maybe they were running it online. So that was really exciting to see. I know Maranta was one of those. 41 Flora was one of those. But when I was talking to Janine Edwards, she mentioned that there were still some more, such as Niche, which is an up and coming coffee shop and wine bar but also a bookstore. So you kind of get the trifecta if you're like me and you like to drink either coffee or wine with your novel of choice. There are a few others that are coming about. So it's exciting to see that these businesses that have already found success in the city are choosing to start their brick and mortar, like a solid foundation essentially in the Bronzeville neighborhood, which is only continuing that legacy of entrepreneurship. Bronzeville is what makes Milwaukee great. It's an incredible story. It's got an amazing history and future. I mean, I think we're all excited about it. Great. Thanks, guys. Thanks, Lexi. Thank you. This has been Speaking Of, a podcast by Milwaukee PBS. I'm Alexandria Mack. Thanks for listening. 